Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Dawn here, and I am the senior pastor of Light Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. And it is my honor and privilege to come before you on today. Oh my God, what a mighty God we serve. I am so grateful to God. I'm so grateful for all of his many, many blessings. God has been good to us and I don't take it for granted. I don't take it for granted that in this season, in this hour, God is imparting as we continue along our journey. We are continuing with our 365-day chronological review of the Bible, and I'm so grateful to God. I don't know why I said 365 days, because we're going to take the time that it takes (laughs) to get through the Word. I thank God. I thank God today. We have started in Genesis. We are still in the book of Genesis. We are midway through uh, the book of Genesis, and it is mm, mm, good. I'm telling you, to have a hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, to have a burden in your heart, to want to know God through his word, I'm telling you, ain't nothing like it. I am enjoying this journey. Amen. All right. So we have gone through the Bible. We've learned about the creation. My God, when God created the heavens and the earth, we have learned about Adam and Eve, who are our forefathers. I'm telling you, it's something about knowing your heritage and knowing where you came from, the origin of your beginning. And I'm so grateful that God kept those records, that he that he pinned those things or allowed those things to be pinned so that we know who we are. We understand who we are and whose we are. Amen. We learned about Adam and Eve. And then we learned about the fall. Y'all remember when that old old raggedy uh, demon came and hid himself in the serpent? You know, I was thinking the other day about that. I said, you know, sometimes we are so royally confused and and and, and just misled in our thinking uh, when we think about the enemy. We know on the surface that he is shrewd and, and he's oftentimes wise, but sometimes we get stuck on what we see versus uh, what we experience, what we know to be true. Amen. And I was thinking about the serpent and I was thinking about all these years, how we attached evil and and demonic and all of these negative connotations to the serpent, to the serpent. And, you know, maybe rightfully so. But then if you look at it, the enemy used the serpent as a host to hide himself in. And so if the serpent becomes your symbol for who the enemy is, you might want to peel back and look a little deeper (laughs) because throughout the years, he used other hosts for uh, his travel in the earth, right? His ability to be mobile in the earth and wreak havoc with us. But anyway, that was just something the other day I just started pondering. I said, you know, we, we, we looking for a serpent. <laughs> we looking for a, a python, a, you know, uh, I can't think of no other serpent's names <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, uh, anaconda, you know, 
you know, all right, I ain't going to go down no rabbit hole. But anyway, we're looking for a serpent. And I'm telling you, he's going to come in many, many different forms. All right, so we learned about the fall. Then we learned about Cain and Abel, their first children. Uh, and their firstborn took the life of their uh, second son. And he did so because he was envious and jealous and decided to do things his own way. And it, he brought it on himself. He brought it on himself. Boy, I tell you, I wish I knew more about Abel, my God. And God, for his own purposes, you know, he gave us the information that we needed to know. But just to think about the love he had for God, to walk in obedience to his will, to live upright and holy. I'm telling you, that would be a story to be told, a story to know, just to understand his his life, his life and, you know, how he progressed, you know, from a child to a man and things like that. And what caused him, what caused him, what prompted him uh, to or motivated him to want to serve God in the way that he did. But anyway, I can have my own thoughts, which I do, uh, you know, with, with that, because I love God. And I know what causes me to want to worship and, and be obedient and to come before him how he say, come before him in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So anyway, we learned about Cain and Abel and we learned about uh, how, you know, Cain got envious and, and took his brother's life. And God said that the blood of his brother was crying out from the ground. And that did something to me. I'm telling you the first time I got that revelation and I said, my God, my God, can you imagine how many times humans have been live, human lives have been taken by other humans and how the blood, the, the cries of, of those souls are crying out to God and he's hearing it. My God, it's something about just knowing that God is that intimately involved with our lives and, and with who we are. And he loves us. He loves us enough to care, to listen and to hear us from heaven. My God. Uh, yes. So, so we learned about that. And then we learned about Noah. We learned about Noah and, 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 and the, the flood and how God annihilated and destroyed the earth through the flood. And we learned about how, um, a, um, Noah's family was saved because of his righteousness. And we began to ponder, what does righteousness mean? And it's hard to define it in a way that we understand it today, in the way that we measure or the way that we judge. Remember, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. So we try to contain it in a way that we can comprehend. You look at uh, Noah, you know, drunk, uh, Mr. Attitude Problem, you know, <laughs> getting mad at his son for something he put himself in, you know, shucking responsibility and accountability, you know, but he was a great man of God in that he loved his family. Oh, my God, we went to uh, Noah's Ark, and it is... It is supposedly a replica of uh, what the ark would have looked like uh, during that time. And they took the time. 
they took the time to at least build it out to the same specs and the same size. And so being in there was a different type of spiritual experience in that I saw how grand and how big it was. So imagine the work that had to go into building that out for the period of time that they built that out, uh, Noah and his sons, and, and to just consider how he, you know, worked on behalf, because I, you know, I'm not a man, but I know how a lot of men think knowing that imminent danger was coming to his family. I can only imagine he wasn't thinking about himself. <laughs> he wasn't thinking, well, let me build this big old ark so I can survive. No, he was thinking, I need to be obedient to God because if that's what I need to do to protect and save my family, I'm going to do it. So he was a man of honor. He was a man of honor. But anyway, we started to ponder, well, what does God mean by righteous? You know, righteous. And it is very simple. It's simple. I'm telling you, when it hit me, I was like, aha. (laughs) You know, it put David in perspective for me, right? Righteous means to obey and to have faith to believe. To obey and have faith to believe. We know and understand that the word of God tells us that faith without works is dead. So in other words, if you have faith, you're going to do some work. And if you have faith to believe God, you're going to be caused to obey. There it is. Listen, it is impossible for faith to uh, uh, thrive, live or be uh, manifest. In any area or aspect where works does not come with it. You got to do something with your faith. You got to do something. And Noah did. He said, he said, I believe you, God, and I'm going to obey. Amen. It's just that simple. God chose Noah because he was a righteous man. He was a friend of God. Amen. The ark we learn represent the covenant that God had with Noah and his family to protect them, to shield them, to cover them. There are many that see, not many that see, the reality is the ark is a reflection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He saved us. The ark saved Noah and his family. So we learned a lot there. And then we went on to uh, learn about, uh, I think we learned about Abraham first, actually. We started our journey, let me see, did we? Or I think it was Job. I think Job was next. Job may have been next before Abraham. But we learned about Job and and his life. And boy, I tell you, (laughs) I can relate with me some Job. And he had gone through so much through no actions of his own. He went through stuff because God said, I can trust you. Listen here. You're somebody that I know that no matter what you go through, you're not gonna, you're not gonna turn your back on me and what you believe in me. Again, another righteous man. The thing that 
uh, impressed me about Job was the love he had for his family. The love that he had caused him to intercede for them on their behalf. He made a sacrifice for them because he said, look, <laughs> I don't know what these jokers out there doing. I don't know how they living. But God, just in case they ain't doing right, I'm going to bring this sacrifice on their behalf. What a loving father. What a loving father, caring father. Job was a righteous man. He was a man uh, that God considered to be faithful, that he can trust. And so uh, God offered up Noah. <laughs> you know, I used to always, I used to always think when I, you know, uh, was studying the word that God, I mean, that, that the enemy asked for Noah, that he asked for Noah. But if you get in your word and you read it, God offered him Noah. I mean, uh, Lord, I said Noah. I meant Job. We talking about Job now. <laughs> he said, have you considered my servant Job? It ain't like the enemy came. And you know, it was just my own misunderstanding. And sometimes the, the preaching, you know, just the interpretation that others have. And, and I adopted it versus getting in a word for myself. And, and God said, you know, as the enemy was going to and fro to find somebody, <laughs> he said, have you considered my servant, Job? He said, the enemy came back and said, yeah, he, he, he good now. But let me, you know, put some fire under him. Let's see what he do. He, he, he only doing all of this because look at all that you've done for him. And God said, uh-uh, not so fast. I know him. I know him. So here's what, I, here's what I'm going to let you do. You touch everything that he got. I give you permission. Simon says, go. <laughs> you touch everything he got, but you can't take his life. And so he suffers such great loss. My God, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine. He lost his all of his children. He lost his worldly possessions. He lost his health. And then turned around and had disruption in the household. <laughs> I mean, I done been through some stuff. And when I tell you, it is a difficult place and space to be. But are we going to be like Job to say, when I can't tr trace you, when I can't trace you, yet will I trust you? I try to be that way, boy, I tell you. Not focusing on what we see, but what we know about the God that we serve. Because if he did it before, he'll do it again. And if he allows it to happen, remember this, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We love him. We love him without a shadow of a doubt. So if he let it happen, we got to trust what God allows. But just like Job, we got to be, you know, we got to be flat foot and firm on what we know that we know. Don't you let nobody come and accuse you of doing something and sinning against God, and you know your relationship with him, 
Don't you let nobody come and try to condemn you into a corner and back you into a box about the God that we serve. Because we know his friends, they were something else. <laughs> they were something else. I'm telling you, when they started coming at the Joe, the way that they did, I started thinking about, you know, some, some acquaintances I met over the years, some friends, but man, mostly family members. I said, boy, these buggers, you know, you too close. <laughs> you, you too close. You see too much. You know too much. And you think you know. But God said, I got something for you. Not only do I trust him, I want him to know he can trust me. And God gave him double for his trouble. Amen. Not only that, as the the um, friends that were ridiculing him and, and, and condemning him and, and judging him and, and misjudging him, not judging. They, were mi- they weren't only judging, they were misjudging him. God said, you know what? Y'all going to need somebody to, to pray y'all out of this, what I'm about to put on you <laughs> for what you did to my servant. And guess who? As I was speaking, I had a call come through. <laughs> so I'm going to have to figure something else out. Uh, well, I just put my phone on uh, Do Not Disturb, but, you know, still others can come through. But I, I think there is a way, you know, when I'm doing this, I can set it so that my, my phone don't ring. So maybe I, I need to do that. But anyway, uh, we were talking about Job and, you know, them jokers that came around him. And God said, you know what? You're going to have to have him pray for you. I pray you out of uh, uh, the standing that you have with me now. And so Job prayed for his friends. And after he prayed for his friends, God began to bless him and restored all that he had lost and restored it double. Amen. And so we also learned that uh and, and, and the Bible is not as clear about this. It's not as clear, but, but we believe that Job remarried, that he remarried and he had more children, and that brought him to uh, the bloodline uh, of, of Jesus, amen, through his descendants, and that brought him to Jesus' bloodline. So, so we learned about Job and and I took my time with Job this morning, I guess, because I can relate. I can relate. My goodness. So then we learned about Abram. Abram and Sarai. My God, I love me some Abram. <laughs> I love me some Abram. I tease a lot about some of the things that he did, but it's only because he reminded me of some of the men I grew up with. Boy, I tell you, he's a H-U-S-T-L-E-R hustler. He is a hustler. But guess what? God called him a righteous man. Called him a righteous man. And this booger went and, and told his, his um, wife, he said, you know, we, we here in Egypt. I want you to tell them that you're my sister. You know, I want you to tell them that you're my sister so they don't try to take you. Because during those times, during those times, uh, the, the beauty beauty was almost a mark of it was it was an identified look you got some shiny and beauty beautiful over here let's steal them let's take them let's let's uh, abduct them <laughs> you know 
And he was afraid that they would take all of his belongings. And he did, he had done that twice. And I still get confused with the two, um, the two times. But one of the times uh, they were taken and God had put a, I think it was the second time, actually. God had put um, a curse on them. And he had shut up the wombs of all of the the women and, you know, they, the plague and all of those things that happened to them. And the king came and said, well, what? hold on now. Why would you uh, uh, do this? And I, I know it for sure was in Egypt because I remember when I was studying it this time, I said, well, wait a minute. So uh, Abraham's descendants were uh, enslaved by Egyptians and so was he. And his wife, you know, many years before. So that was just a correlation that I had never put together. But it was interesting to me that they had journeyed that. And God had told him, God had even told Abraham, uh, you know, and I began confused too, because in my mind, I'm trying to keep the name straight for the timeline of, you know, when things happen, you know, because at some point he was Abram. You know, up until I think, what was he about um, ninety years old, or was he a hundred yet? Whenever, whenever God came and told him, maybe he was a hundred. Maybe he was Abram up until a hundred uh, or ninety-nine, something like that. Uh, because God came and told him, you know, I'm gonna give you a son, and I want you to change your name and change your wife's name. But anyway. Uh, so I try to keep them names, you know, so so don't charge it to my head, you know. I mean, charge it, yeah, charge it to my heart, charge it to my head, because sometimes I forget, <laughs> you know, and I, because my mind is trying to keep them all straight and keep them together. But anyway, so I like Abraham because he seemed like just a real, you know, he, he just real, you know, he bowed about it, I especially like how, you know, when him and his, his son, I mean, his uh, nephew, when they captured the nephew and abducted the nephew, he got his 300 men. He said, we're going to get mine. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff, boy, I tell you. Better than any reality TV show out there. The Bible got some stories and some drama. You hear me? So, um, so anyway, so we learned about Abram. And his journey uh, with his father, uh, Tara, uh, we learned about that. And we learned that, what did we say? They were 10 or 11 generations from Noah, uh, something like that. And we know that Noah was four or five generations from Adam and Eve. So so they were close in the thick of it, you know. And, um, and but God told Abram, he said, I want you to come from amongst your father and your people and his people and your people, your kinfolk, your kindred uh, is, is, is what they said back in that time. So he said, I want you to come from amongst them. And so Abram did part of what God said. He came out of his father's land, but he took his nephew with him. 
<laughs> he took his nephew with him. So while they're traveling and, you know, here they are, nomads going from place to place and space to space and trying to find their footing and their place. And this was all pre the covenant. This was all before God, you know, set Abram down and said, look, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I got some for you. You know, I'm going to, you, what you see now, what you're going through now, I, I, I know that you're going through uh, the wilderness. I know you're traveling, but I got some land for you. And baby, when I tell you, when you get to the promised land, when you get to that place and that space, you're going to be much better coming out than what you were when you went in. He said, not only that, I'm going to, you know, I want you to look up there in the sky and I want you to see those stars and I'm going to make you the father of many, many nations. I'm going to make you the father of, you ain't even going to be able to count it. So I want you to look up there in them stars and get some perspective because this is a sign of how vast your lineage is going to go and going to be. He said, look, you can't even count them. He gave them the the analogy, I mean, not the analogy, but the symbol of the sand, the greens in the sand. It will be much more than that. And so I thought about it. I said, well, wait a minute. Right now, we got billions of people in the earth. So going back to that time, you know, Noah's time, you know, I I believe that during uh, Noah's time, it probably was much more, you know, because these jokers was living about hundreds of years. So where were they going after they were born? They were really being fruitful and multiplying. But I'm telling you, by the time we got to uh, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, which we talk about that in a second, by the time we got there, we, we back up in the billions. We back up in the billions. So anyway, his lineage, if you think about it, we're a part of that. We are, we are living uh, proof of the promise being made manifest in the earth and realize in the earth all these many, many years later. Listen, if you want proof that God is real, if you want proof that the Bible is real, I want you to just take your two little fingers, take your thumb and your index finger, put it up against your flesh and twist. I'm telling you, give yourself a little pinch (laughs) because you are the manifestation of God's promises. We read uh, in our Bible study, it was in our devotion and my devotional. Well, I work because Mary goes through it too. And and, and, um, anyway, it was in our devotional uh, where the, the, prophet was talking about we are stars we are stars and he used uh the reference in genesis where jesus told abram look up there look up there you your descendants will be uh uh amongst you know counted amongst the stars right you would be so vast right so anyway we learned that we are stars i'm telling you somebody want to say something to you about who you are i want you to you know uh walk in confidence, knowing that you are stars because you are a descendant of Abraham. So anyway, they had gone through a couple of things, uh, him and Sarai. And, and I just love, you know, it, it's something about a good woman. It's something about a woman who loves a man. And sometimes we love them jokers so much to the point that we will stick with them. We will stick by their side. Y'all remember in Genesis where uh, God passed down the judgment 
and you recall the judgment, the peace that he gave to to um, uh, Eve, and we 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 gloss over that. We remember the part about the labor pains because it's so prominent. We go through it, but he also told her. He said, "Look, you gonna love your husband." And he going to be able to hoard that over your head. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I got that revelation, I said, oh, that's why I love that joker like I do. That's why I love that joker like I do. And he can tap into me in ways that folk can't even touch me. And I'm talking about my attitude, <laughs> you know, my attitude, even on the flip side, my submission. You know, that that guy, I'm telling you, it's, it's just something about the love God gave us for these men. And I'm not going to call it a, a curse because it's often a blessing, you know, but it's just the reality. It's the reality of what we go through. So Sarah, who we're going to talk about today, you know, she was a, I'm, listen, phenomenal woman. You want to talk about a woman of virtues? Uh, she was she was a woman who loved her family. And I can relate to Miss Sarah because she seemed like she was a little bowdy bowdy. She ain't playing no games about her man, you know, even though she did something I would never do. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was a sign of their time. But I could see the love that she had um, for her family and for her husband. And she stood by his side. Amen. All right. So, so we learned about them and we learned about Lot. We learned about Lot and, and, and how, you know, he and Abraham, they had set out, uh, to, to journey together. And, you know, because of, once again, Abram's little, you know, uh, tale that he told, you know, oh, this is my sister. And so not only did he tell that little tale, you know, the king had, had um, gifted him, right, riches and livestock and, 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 and things like that so that they could survive. It was almost like he was trying to make recompense for the mistake that he could have made. Amen. So he said, look, you go on and take this stuff and, and, and we're going to give it to you. And we learned that they flipped it and they increased it. Just like, like I said, I know some brothers well, that's what they do. They specialize in increase. <laughs> so they had increased to such a level to where uh, they they had outgrown the land. It wasn't enough land for everybody to to share. Uh, and so they started with the bickering and fighting and the love that was shared between Abram and his nephew Lot caused them to say, look, we can't fight each other now. We, we ain't going to keep doing this. And, and Abram showed mercy and uh, uh, compassion towards his nephew, who, again, I believe he, because they didn't have children at that time, I believe that they raised him as, their, as, as his own son as his own son. And we saw that evident when he went to go get him. He's like, uh-uh, we don't play them games over here. But so uh, they decided that they were going to, um, that they were going to part ways to keep the peace. And Abram said, look, you know, you, you choose where you want to go, where, where, what part you want to go to. And, and remember during that time, this was after God had given uh, Abram 
the first promise. He said, I'm going to give you the land. He told him, he said, I'm going to give you the land and, and you won't have to worry about nothing. So everything around here is going to belong to you. But he gave Lot the choice. He said, where you want to go? And Lot decided he wanted to go east. And we learned that there's a pattern that's starting to develop here where, you know, uh, Adam and Eve went east of the garden. Um, Once they settled uh, in their location, when Cain sinned, he went east of, uh, of his family, his parents. He went east. And so then... Here we see that pattern coming up again. It's something about east. And I believe going east of of God is going away. It denotes going away from God. And so uh, he went towards Sodom. And at that time, uh, there were uh, these five kingdoms, these five kingdoms, I believe. I want to say they were in Siddim, Siddim, Siddim. Siddim. Mary taught us that, right? They were in Siddim. And so he went towards these five kingdoms. And next thing you know, here come four other kingdoms. And the four other kingdoms, they came and they war. They went to war and they over uh, overcame these cities. And so as a result of that, I believe at the time, uh, uh, Lot was in Sodom. He was in Sodom. And so they overcame them and they uh, subdued them and and conquered them. And they took Lot, his family and all of his belongings as plunder uh, for and they enslaved them. And so one of the fugitives ran off and and going in that direction of Abram. And he said, hey, Abram, they got your nephew and his family and everything he owned. And you know what? Hey. I'm just giving you a heads up. I don't know what you want to do, but you might want to bring the smoke and the fire. <laughs> I'm tickled because, well, anyway, I ain't going to go there. Somebody told me one time, well, I don't want no smoke. I said, I want the fire. <laughs> I don't understand no uh, uh, street language. Come on now, I want the fire. But anyway, uh, he brought the smoke because he sure went up in there and got everything that belonged to him plus some. And when I say belong to him, it's it's because that was his nephew. That was his nephew. And so all that they had, then we had, uh, uh, what was it, Machesedet. Machesedet, we learned about Machesedet. The king, he was the king of Salem. He was the king of, of, of Salem. And so he came and he gave them food and, you know, he, he replenished the men and, and he gave them all of these things. And so Abram said, look, you are the high priest. And so I'm going to give you a tenth. And so this is where we see the tithe represented, right? And, and, and the tradition of the tithe uh, during this time represented because uh, Abram had enough sense to say, hey, I know how to serve God. I know how to uh, uh, give back. Not only am I going to build an altar to worship my God, I'm going to give back a tenth. And so he gave him a tenth, and then here come that old king of Sodom. Here come that king of Sodom, and he like, mm. uh, what was his name? Bear, Bear. I know it started with a B. Was it Bera or something like that? But anyway, here he come, and he said, "Well, I want to give you something." And, and Abram stopped him right in his track. He said, "Listen, I don't want nothing from you." He said, "Because I don't want you to even. I don't want nobody to even think." 
that my riches came from you. Because see, at that point, he had believed the promises that God had given him. And plus, if you remember early in the scriptures where they, they didn't call him out by name, but they said that the king of Sodom, it was all them tar pits. <laughs> this joker was running from the kings that conquered them and fell into the tar pit. You, you a little soft, you know. So, but anyway, Abram let him know, I don't want nothing from you. You can keep it for yourself. I won't even take, this was the thing that got me. He told him, and, and this is just Dom words, it was the equivalent of a shoestring <laughs> on his sandals. He said, I don't even want, I don't even want a strand of, of, of whatever from you, you know, which is to me translated in my mind, a shoestring off your, your sandal. You keep that. And so then after everything settled, he took his he took his brother, I mean his nephew back to Sodom and set him set him back out there. He said, All right, now y'all good. Go on. And after everything, lot you would think he would have went west. This joker stayed right where he was at and went in there and made a name for himself. He made he made a um uh uh, he became prestigious, you know, in, in, in that community because we learned they said he was sitting at the gate. And so that typically is uh, a sign of an official. He was sitting at the gate when those angels came in. And so, but we learned that he was in Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, they were neighboring cities. And I can just imagine that at that time after Abram and his men went and they conquered those kings who had conquered those cities and he restored the kingdoms back, then those cities merged, right? So now you have Sodom and Gomorrah and you have the practices and the, you know, the, 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 the intermingling of all of these different uh, traditions. And remember, they were idol worshipers. So now they don't have the exposure of those kings who conquered them. They've had the exposure of the cultures of, you know, all of their evolving evil traditions. So here we got uh, uh, Lot coming there and he's making a name for himself uh, through, uh, you know, making a name for himself through this. And his family did very well. One of the things we learned about Lot is that he was, a, listen, he was a good businessman. If he didn't do nothing else, that man knew how to increase. God God anointed him, gave him wisdom, and he was able to increase. But but so we learned that, um, you know, uh, because of all of the evil that was going on, in Sodom and Gomorrah, once again, God said, I can hear the cries of the people. I can hear the torment, the torture, all that they're going through at the hands of the evil that is coming from these cities. He went to Abram, who was his friend, who was who was a righteous man. He said, you know what, Abram? I'm 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 about to wipe this uh city off. I'm about to wipe this uh Sodom and Gomorrah off the face of the earth. I'm just gonna let you know. And Abram said, Well, wait a minute, God, you know, hey, I I I my nephew over there, if you wipe them out, he he's gonna be gone. And plus, 
I raised that boy. I raised him to a point. I, I can tell you, I, I know what you hear. I ain't going to question what you hear. But listen, I know my nephew is over there. He's changing some hearts. You know, he got it in him. He's a man of God. And he's, you know, he 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 he, he got him. Don't, don't even worry about it. Now, if we got 50 people, if, if, if we can get 50 people that are, you know, not evil and corrupt, will, will you spare them? God said, yeah, all right, we can, we, hey, that's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll spare them. Show me 50. <laughs> and I'll spare the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, well, wait a minute, because he started thinking about it. He know who them people are. He know what they were about. You know, I know Abram. You know, he know God, no. And he said, well, look, all right, you said 50. What about, what about 40? Or maybe he said 30 at that time. Yeah, I'll I do 30 if we can find 30. Anyway, he got all the way down to about five or three. And God said, yeah, you know, yep, honey, we can find that. But he sent his angels. And so the angels went down and the angels were coming and they were about business. And so Lot happened to see the angels. And in my mind, I believe that he recognized that they were at least of God. But it was their tradition to be hospitable to guests and to people that they saw and people that they knew. And it was something about those angels that, that Lot said, well, listen, y'all don't need to be in, in the center court of the city. Let me take you on to my house. Because Lot knew these old nasty demons that were floating around there. They were just waiting to prey on him and to exploit those angels. And so he said, y'all come on to my house. And and so the men had seen what had happened. And they come knocking, beating, and trying to bam down the door and break down the door, telling Lot, send them out. Send them in. You had two men with you. Send them out here so we can have our way with them. They wanted to rape them and, and torture them, sodomize them, and, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff to them uh, because that was their culture. They had given in to evil and sin. The iniquity that was in their hearts had consumed them. And so at this point, they were evil. And so Lot, for whatever reason, he said, look, I'm not going to send these two men out there. You, you, you can take my daughters. They're virgins. Just, just go on and take the daughters. And so we, we kind of paused on that a little bit and tried to ponder, ponder, like, oh, well, why would I mean, why, <laughs> why are you gonna offer up your daughters? I mean, what kind of man? I mean, come on now. And then being a wife, I would have, I would have jacked them up. But it was something that hit me as I was going through the study this time that I said, you know what? I wonder. If Lot had an understanding of who these angels were, and in his mind, he reflected that they were God or or something, or even the angels. I would even say, venture to say, maybe he knew they were angels. And similar to the sacrifice that we're going to learn about that Abram did uh, of his son Isaac, Abraham, of his son Isaac, uh, Lot had the same willingness. to sacrifice his children on behalf of God. And so that was one way, maybe my mind trying to justify it, because as a mother, as a parent, I just can't even fathom uh, something like that. But anyway, 
you know, we thought about it and we, and, and, and so we learned that the angels, they didn't come to play. So here we got these men out there bamming outside the door. Send these, send these men out here. They thought they were men. They didn't know they was angels. He said, he said, send them out here. And guess what the angels did? They, they struck them down blind. They made them blind. So now they, they all, you know, scammering around and trying to, you know, get their bearings. And, and so he telling Lot, he like, Lot, look, we about to, we about to wipe them off the face of the earth, blow them to oblivion. We need you and your family to get up out of here. We came for y'all. So y'all got to go. So Lot had to have believed them because he went on to his uh, uh, daughter's fiancés and he told them, and these jokers thought it was a joke. They laughed at him. And, oh, yeah, old man. We'll see that happen. But then he, he had his family. He said, look, you know, we got to go. We got to go. And there was some delay and hesitation in them because the Bible tells us that the angels had to drag them out of there. I'm like, no, nah, I done seen what I seen, and y'all done told me what y'all said. I'm coming with y'all. I'm going. But Lot, on the other hand, you know, he had so much vested in that community, so much he had established himself, prestige. He had he had built his his uh, reputation for himself and built a good life for him and his family. He said, we ain't going nowhere because of what we have. And see, we have to be careful because sometimes we fall into that pit. And we look around, I got too much to lose. I ain't ready to, to you know, uh, um, to uh, pick up the cross, sacrifice everything, and, and go with the Lord. We know Jesus did the parable before. Remember when the rich man asked him, he said, how can I get into heaven? He said, that'd be likened unto, you know, a camel getting through the eye of a needle, you know. Because it's just that important that we don't put a lot of value we don't, we don't put value on material things above and beyond our relationship with God. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But anyway, so they had to drag them jokers out of there. Oh, but before that, uh, Lot said, well, you know, y'all telling me to go to the mountains. Can I just go over there to that little city? You know, that's over there. Ain't nobody over there because I don't know what it can happen to me in that in them, uh, in that cave. But I know that that city. I'm familiar. I wanna I wanna uh, deal with the de- the devil. I know. <laughs> I know what can happen over there. I don't know what can happen in that cave. And they say, all right, well, just going on over there if that'll suit you. But we learned ultimately he wound up in that cave like they told him to go to to begin with. So they left, and as they were leaving, the angels even told him, he said, leave, but don't look back. Don't look back. Ain't nothing back here for you to see. Nothing to see, nothing to see. Keep it moving. And so uh, Lot and his daughters obeyed it. But his wife, for whatever reason, she turned around and looked back, and, and then she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so we pondered that. We said, well, what is the significance of salt? Salt typically preserves things. And so we derived that the wife and her actions represented the preservation of the sin, the sin that they had committed against God. And we we also surmised that Sodom and Gomorrah 
represents sin. And so God was taking them out of sin. He was destroying the sin. And so as they were leaving, fire and brimstones and all kinds of stuff was coming down on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them. And the wife looks back. She's turned into a pillar of salt. And so uh, Noah and his daughters, they make it to the, to the cave. And so the daughters have an aha moment. They say, well, wait a minute. If it's just us and dad, what we going to do? <laughs> what we what we going to do to procreate and be fruitful and multiply? You know, we we going to die. We going to be the last generation. We ain't going to be no more of us after us. And they said they concocted this plan. Well, we're going to uh, lay with our father. And I think it was the oldest daughter who came up with it. And then we'll, we'll procreate. And in my mind, I said, well, I wonder if they're doing to their dad what he tried to do to them. He, he was offering them up to be raped, but they actually raped them. They, they, they uh, uh, drug, uh, not drugged them, but they got them drunk and then laid with them. And then Mary helped us understand, too. She said that was probably how they were uh, getting the men, you know, unsuspecting men who came into their uh Communities unknowing, they didn't know what kind of evil they were walking into. That's probably how they how they seduced them. Sometimes was getting them drunk, and then next thing you know, they had their way with them. But the daughters used that method to uh, deceive their father. And so the question I had was, I get the first night. You know, I get the first night, and you know, most of us grown. But if it's kids, we'll. We'll change the narrative a little bit. But you you know when you've done something, <laughs> you know. So you know when you've done something the first night, that would make sense. But this joker turned around and got drunk the second night. And so that kind of made me think about <clears throat> while the daughters carried out the act, what part was that dad playing in this? And so the daughters, from their perspective, they said the world is over because all they could see was all that destruction. They weren't, they didn't know. They didn't have the story like we have to know that there were other uh, um, tribes and people that were still out there. And so, uh, yeah, they, they didn't know. So they thought they had to do what they had to do. And they did it and they created these sons and, and the sons were... Uh, the the descendants of the sons were the Moabites and the Amorites. So we learned about them, and, and we know, and we'll find out as we get further in the scripture, you know, that they were the, you know, adversaries of the children of Israel. So so that was Lot and, and his family and, and what we learned there. And let me see. Then we went on to learn more about Abram and Sarah and their journey, you know, and how they continued to trust God and God made them the promise now that they would have a son. They, he was going to bring a son and, and so I guess it was taking too long again for them to get the word and, uh, I mean, get the promise fulfilled. And so they turned around and decided, Sarah said, well, you know, God is taking too long. So, uh, Abram, 
you can have my my uh you can have my handmaiden Hagar and and you can take Hagar and and let her let her give you a, a seed because it looks like I'm a little barren right now. I can't have no kids and let her give you a seed. And so uh <laughs> it's funny because that's why I, I part from the mentality of Sarah. I don't play no games when it comes to my husband. And I knew she ain't play no games when it came to hers. Uh, but yeah, you <laughs> you gonna wait on God's promise. Let me just help you out real quick. But anyway, so uh so they did that. And uh and and she produced a, a son, Ishmael, and uh he is the son who produced what we know today as, you know, the Muslims, the Muslims, uh, they believe that he was a, I mean, their their lineage comes from uh, uh, the descendant of Abraham, his firstborn son, which is Ishmael. And so, uh, but then the promise was fulfilled with Isaac. And so um, God granted his his promise to them and I'm slowing down because I think it's a big old chunk that I might be missing but my brain is working while I'm talking so y'all know how that is uh but we we learned so much and I would just encourage you to go back go back and oh the part that's why that's why my brain's slowing down because the part that I found, you know, interesting was how when God gave them the promise, each one separately, they both laughed. They both laughed when he said, I'm going to give you a son because they looked at their old age. And they said, well, you know, hey, we kind of old to be having kids. And so I think it was around the time that he was 90 years old. Maybe maybe Sarah was 90. I think she was 90 when she had him. So it would have been the time that, that uh, Abram was 90 and so they looking at each other like, we real old to be having kids. I don't see that happening. So they both laughed. Uh, Abram laughed so hard, he fell on his face. <laughs> and then, and then when, when they told it the second time, Sarah laughed. And then she lied and said she didn't laugh. And that was just funny to me because they turn around and their son, Isaac's name actually means... Um, uh, laughter. And so with Abram, God changed his name to Abraham, meaning that he would be the father of many nations. And so he changed Sarah, Sarah, Sarai's name to Sarah, meaning that she would be the mother of many nations. Some translated into the princess. And so we're going to talk, I mean, princess to many nations. But we're going to talk about that because that's who our uh, Bible supplement is about today because we we done learned a lot about Abram. We done learned a lot about Lot. Now we need to learn something about Miss Sarah. So I'm going to end this uh, right now, right here, and take a little break. And then I'm going to start up a new uh, podcast and we'll just talk about Sarah. Amen. Amen.